Before we begin, a note of warning. The language used and the topics explored in this podcast are not suitable for listeners younger than 18. Your discretion is advised. From the Spade and Archer Studios, welcome to Behind the Yard Sign, the podcast that pulls back the curtain to reveal the real world of real estate with your hosts, Justin M. Reardon and Amy Romberg. Amy freaking Justin. Amy. It's so great to see you. <laughs> Always a pleasure. I love this. Season two is so wonderful. <laughs> Always a pleasure. Um, I just want to note very quickly that your mustache is looking particularly good today, too. For the folks who can't see yeah. it, it's just particularly shiny. Oh, you know, I use a little bit of coconut oil. When we go gray, your hair follicles stop producing as much oil as they used to. And so even if you're gray and you're dyeing your hair, you don't need to wash your hair as often, number one, and you can actually add oil to it, which the idea of like putting oil in your hair as a white person Mm -hmm. seems totally unfounded. Now, as a father of a black child, we actually put like Mm -hmm. Vaseline in his hair. Like you would never do that as a white person. You never put Vaseline in your hair. As a black person, that's how you keep that moisturized so that it doesn't like break off. This idea of like adding oil to your hair has been like a totally new thing for me. And so I get the the shiny dad's dash. It's pretty hot. (laughs) Smashing. (laughs) Good morning. Great to see you. (laughs) Good morning. Morning and great to see you. Today we are we're gonna have an awesome guest on. We'll get to that later on. But what I wanted to talk to you about first was this idea of changing our mindset. A lot of times when we are gonna buckle down and do something like we're gonna take a risk, we're gonna step off a ledge. A lot of times we ask ourselves, well, what's the worst thing that could happen? And I actually went rock climbing this weekend oh. in Smith Rock. Oh which my gosh! I am not a rock climbing guy. <laughs> that is not my thing. Like the most adventurous thing I do is like go to a restaurant. And so I went rock climbing in. Smith Rock, which is a world-renowned climbing location Stunning. just outside of Bend, Oregon. And like, yes, I know Bend is like one of your places. <laughs> I do know this. I'm not a big Bend person. I'm like, you know, straight people and lesbians, they love Bend. Yeah. <laughs> That's why you just totally took my breath away when you said that. I was like, you were rock climbing in where? Yeah, right? <laughs> what? never seen Smith Rock before, Google it. It is stunningly beautiful. And I'm not a rock climber guy, but we hired this guide. Um, It was $95 per person. It was eight hours of rock climbing, which is an unbelievably good value. We'll put a link to his website in our podcast, whatever the hell it's called. We went out there, we climbed the rocks. And a lot of what I was saying to myself, like, what's the worst thing can happen? Well, I could fall off the rock. I could break my head open. I could die. My business could go out of business. My family would be destitute. This could be terrible. And the second I changed my mindset to from what's the worst in happen to what's the best thing could happen is that like, well, I could look like a total stud in front of my friends that I climbed this rock like faster and easier than all of them did and touched the top and <laughs> didn't complain about it. And I will fully admit that like halfway through, it was a struggle to keep that <laughs> abundance mindset that like, what's the best thing that could happen here? It was a little bit hard, but I, I'm wondering, what do you do when you're looking at something that's like fairly risky when you're putting an offer that might not work or whatever? Like, when is the point when you find yourself saying, what's the worst thing that can happen. How do you change that to what's the best thing that could happen? Oh my gosh. I mean, I I think I started off in this business having to wrestle that a little bit. I think we've talked about this before, but you know, leaving federal employment, (laughs) job security, a well, well paid, great insurance, all of that stuff in the middle of a pandemic to become a real estate agent (laughs) definitely (laughs) uh, required me to get on top of my craziest fears. And I luckily have 
have so much support from my partner. You know, she was always just like, we'll make it happen. We'll make this do, we'll make it work, whatever. We'll put it together. I think that I had to go into this business with an abundance mindset and best case scenario, I think I continue to have to do that. It's like affirmations are not for everybody, but I truly try and watch the way that I talk to myself and the things that I say to myself, really always trying to push towards that positive side. And I realize this sounds so cheesy to some folks who are not on board with it, but if I don't stay on the positive side, I will drain slowly away into probably a a wild mess of anxiety and worry and what's happening next and where's the next, you know, transaction going to come and what if this one gets messed up? And I'm someone who can circle really easily into that, making sure that I stay away from that. That little evil voice in your head Mm -hmm. says, you know, what if I don't get the next one? And what were some other things that he was saying? Oh my gosh. I mean, all the classics, right? You're you're probably not going to be very good at this. You don't know what you're doing, which is like sometimes a little bit true still, (laughs) but I'm smart Mm -hmm. enough to know when I don't know what I'm doing. That's an interesting one because that could also be the positive voice saying, you don't know what you're doing. And this is a great time to learn from someone else. This is a great time to reach out to a mentor or to a home stager or to a maintenance guy and figure out like, how are you doing this? And so that that little positive voice can be the guy that also stops you from getting in trouble. Because a lot of people think of that if they are always constantly positive, that they're only looking at the positive side, that they will just walk headfirst into a trap. Yes. But the positive voice can also help keep us away from danger as well. Yeah. And what's that saying? I actually really love it. I think it may be Beth Kellen that says it, that you know just enough to be dangerous about something. So yeah. I definitely mm-hmm. recognize, I mean, I'm, I am super humble in this business. And I, I mean, you've picked up the phone for me on multiple occasions now where there are scenarios I get myself into all the time where I'm like, wow, don't really know what I'm doing here. And I've got a couple different options that I can think of. And I mean, I think my social work background taught me that consulting and talking to other people is really super important in all of this in life in general, because there's so much wisdom out there. A positivity mindset requires the ability to admit when you don't know. Absolutely. And when when a client is asking, well, what do we do here? What do we do there? What do we do there? The last thing you want to hear is I have no idea. Yeah. And why not? And then, you know, good luck figuring that out. Yeah. But if you can come back to them, you say, I don't know. I know the person I can ask. Yeah. I'm going to get back to you in this set amount of time yep. and then actually get back to them in that yep. set amount of time with that answer. It is okay to say, I don't know, but I can figure it out. Absolutely. That's a okay, right? Yeah. And I think one thing related to that, that I've said a number of times, which totally out of necessity, but I found it to be quite well received from clients is gosh, you know, I just need to take a minute to think about this. I'm a slow processor in these instances. I just want to buy myself a little bit of time to really think through all these possibilities. And I've said that on on multiple occasions to clients who are like, oh, okay, great. Call us back in a little while, or, you know, let's continue the conversation. And then I do stop and I think it through myself. And then I seek consultation as needed with other folks. But I think people appreciate it when you're like, oh, I'm just going to take a minute to collect myself here. It is amazing how these subjects just run into each other. Because we talked about this idea of the emotional versus the logical thought process, how logical takes longer, emotional is really fast. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and it's okay. It's okay to not know, especially in real estate Mm -hmm. where 
Essentially, real estate agents are the concierge of real estate. Mm -hmm. They don't necessarily do anything, but they make everything happen. Mm -hmm. Being able to go out and find those right people and find your resources and to be able to stop and pause and say, I'm going to give the logical answer here, not the emotional one. That's going to take me a beat or two to get there. That is empowerment right there. That allows you to be the optimist. Without that, you are willy-nilly out of control. Yeah and the optimist becomes too emotional, we have to have optimism with logic combined makes us a successful agent. I'm saying that's a recipe for success. Absolutely. Totally agree with that, Justin. What does your what's the best thing that can happen voice sound like? What does that voice say? I mean, I think that voice takes every opportunity to sort of push through. Let's say I'm I'm waiting for an offer and I'm feeling a little bit doubtful about it. Um, I think sort of trying to nip that conversation, like, thanks, mind. I don't need that thinking, trying to just ignore knowledge that it's happening. This is a little bit of my mental health background too. Uh, have little conversations. I love that your positive voice is very appreciative. Yeah. Thanks, mind. Thank you so much. Thanks, brain. Thank you for that unsolicited yeah. advice. I'm good. Thank you. Thanks, mind. Fuck off. <laughs> I don't want to hear that. I mean, that's the second part of it, if I'm honest. You know, I think it's important that we acknowledge those thoughts. I think you can't just like shove them. It's not like this wrestling match where you're pushing them aside completely. So for me, it's sort of the acknowledgement with like, thanks brain, not helpful, allows me to move over to the other side of like, okay, what if we did get this? And you never know. You just never know what's going to happen with these sorts of things. And sitting, waiting for an offer that you're not sure you're going to get, you're just going to make yourself crazy if you kind of go down the anxiety spiral of worst case, where Whereas if you're like, hey, maybe we'll get this. Maybe this will just surprise everybody moving that towards like, I think we're going to get it. Trying to push for the positive, the positive thinking and all of it. My positive voice sounds like Mike Tyson. And so it's like, (laughs) it's okay, Justin, you can do this. It's going to be great. Why doesn't that surprise me, Justin? (laughs) Why doesn't that surprise me? Oh my gosh. I love it. That's fantastic. (laughs) And I got to tell you, I mean, like for somebody who's made some really terrible decisions, he really helps me out on a regular basis. You know, yeah. like when I was thinking the other day, I was like, well, I was thinking about maybe getting a face tattoo. And he was like, you look great, Justin. That'd be awesome. <laughs> well, thank you, Mike. Thank you for that. <laughs> That's always been the voice for you, Justin. <laughs> I relate to Mike Tyson just in that, like, he's this big, masculine, yeah. brutish dude. And he has this, like, a really high-pitched, lispy yeah. voice, which I can so relate to because yeah. there are parts of me that are, like, really masculine, parts of me that are, yes. like, really effeminate. Yep. I feel like Mike probably became a really good fighter because when you have a lisp like that yeah. and a body like that, you're like, your first reaction is, like, punch it. Yeah. Just punch it. So. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> Justin, do you find that you're able to stay on the positive? Like, what do you do to keep yourself there? I mean, I know there's moments where you're running businesses in different cities, you're you're spread thin. There's so much going on. Like, what do you do? It is a constant argument. Yeah. There is no such thing as you're about to slip into negativity. It is a constant argument in yeah. my head. And I am an eternal optimist. Mm-hmm. I will always find the good thing out of everything. Like, you know, oh, I cut off my leg. Well, that's cool. I actually weigh 10 pounds less now. You know, <laughs> look at that. <laughs> I will find something good in just about everything. Yeah. But entrepreneurism is a constant roller coaster. Yeah. You know, there have been days where like, we weren't going to make payroll. And that was terrifying. And, you know, you have to try to find a way to get around that. A lot of that comes down to like really swallowing your pride to being like, I'm going to be 
okay, I messed this one up. But the best thing about messing up is that I get to learn a lesson from that and I get to look back on that. And the next time I'm in that situation, I can make a better decision. Ultimately, that is the silver lining of every little cloud is that we learned something. If we are making the same mistake over and over and over again and we're not learning anything from it, then I mean, that that is like literally the definition of insanity is that we're not learning, we're not doing anything better. And so every time I mess up, I have to say to myself, it's okay. Mm-hmm. That's all right. You're human. And now you're going to learn that lesson and you're going to move on. And so yeah. I'm okay with that. Yeah. yeah. Cole runs our business mm-hmm. and Cole is a total pessimist. He pokes ideas <laughs> in every single thing that we do. And he honestly keeps me grounded. You know, if it was just me, like we would be like, you know, what would be look great in here is unicorns farting rainbows <laughs> and over optimism can be dangerous. <laughs> and I tend to lay on that side of things for sure. Yeah. That being said, I, I am overly optimistic, but I am really not very emotional. I'm much more logical than I am. And so there is a balance that balances out there. I think overly optimistic and overly emotional is a really dangerous combination. Mm-hmm. Overly pessimistic and overly logical is a really dangerous combination. Yeah. You ready to go grab our guest? Oh, Should I, I go can't get him? wait. Go get him. That sounds great. All right, cool. I'll be right back. Amy, I want to introduce you to Glenn Shellhammer. I just brought him out for the green room. We're so excited to have him on the show. Glenn, welcome to the show. Hey, guys. How you doing? <laughs> Did you get a chance to jump in the hot tub in the green room? Heck yeah. Can't you see? I'm still soaking wet. <laughs> Can somebody get this guy a towel, please? <laughs> By the way, I love your Speedo. Gold is my favorite color. <laughs> yeah, I've been working really hard, really, really hard on these yeah. apps. You can touch. Go ahead. It shows, man. You, you know, they said in COVID, you're either going to get chunky or hunky. And I got to say, man, you didn't get chunky. So good job. <laughs> you're welcome to come over for dinner any night. I love it. So Glenn, tell us a little bit about your journey. Where did you grow up? How did you end up in LA? What did you go into school for? Give us the haps. What happened? Oh my gosh, all the questions. I just want to run and hide under the bed right now. <laughs> I am from Florida. I was born in Florida, raised in New Jersey, hopscotched up and down the East Coast. When I was 21, I thought it was a fairly decent idea to put two suitcases in the back of a pickup truck and head on out to California. I love this story already. What was the draw? Sunshine, maybe? Truth be told, it's that cliche. I actually was given a job to be on General Hospital. It's a daytime soap opera. My, It's my mom's um, soap, yes. I got put on tape. I was living in Miami and read a few pages. And the next thing I know, that ABC was flying me out here and putting me up. And they said, here, here you go. Here's a contract. So when everybody he said how difficult it was to come out to LA to become an actor. That wasn't my experience. They, you know, I got an agent right away. And you just landed. Just sort of, yeah. It just sort of all fell into place. Yeah. Like, oh, cool. Let's do it. Quickly, I found out though that it's real work for me. Yeah. It's real work. Yeah. So, you know, I just gave up. It wasn't fun anymore. So I decided to do something else artistic and fun where I can stand out and have everybody love me. <laughs> so I decided to go into the apparel industry and make clothing for a while. So that's what I did. Now I'm a real estate broker. How did you jump from apparel to real estate? You see how I went? Yeah, I know. I did notice that. I I was like, wow, that was a quick transition. Don't you feel so cheated? By the way, where is my fucking towel? I'm freezing. (laughs) Okay, okay, okay. We got it. Here you go. It's I got you this really fancy one. It's monogrammed with your initials and everything. In gold. In gold. That's nice. I like that. Little pink velvet. Ooh, nice touch. (laughs) That was good misdirection, but now we want Mm -hmm. to find out how you went from clothing apparel to real estate. There's a jump there. There's a jump. I was lucky 
In the apparel industry, I've never really taken no for an answer very well. Mm. The rules just don't simply apply to Glenn. I live on the outside in the gray area of life. I uh, started a t-shirt company and I went to market with it. And then I went and I drove to Saks Fifth Avenue and Neiman Marcus and Bloomingdale's. And I said, hey, these are the best t-shirts in sliced bread. And they said, no. And I said, but they are. And they said, okay. And I said, great, buy my clothing. And they did. And wow. then we started to sell them to the best boutiques in the world. And I was flying around the world and we were at Selfridges in London and we were at the best boutiques in, in South Korea and in Japan. And it was great. And then I started to put my penis inside my business partner. And it was all downhill from there. Yes, amazing how uh, those appendages can ruin business relationships, right? Uh, yeah. So, mm -hmm. you know, she said it was for fun and I said it was for fun and then all of a sudden I fell in love with this other woman and it wasn't fun for her anymore and uh, and I can't see why that happened. What's wrong with everybody? What's the best thing that can happen, right, Amy? What's the best? <laughs> we just got done talking about what's the, we don't ever say what's the worst thing you can have. We're like, what's the best thing that happened? Yeah. This is fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, so it got complicated real quick. It did. Yeah. It did, and it got ugly, and it was a really nasty two-year arbitration, mediation, divorce. Oh. Mm -hmm. And I just took a couple of years off, and I did me, and I actually took classes in junior college. I thought about graphic design. You know, I really yeah. enjoy art and designing, and I remember one day I was in class, and I was walking, and I was looking at the other students' monitors and I knew I could be good at this. Mm -hmm. I don't think I could ever be great. They had that thing, that extra thing where they can see something that I just, I don't have that skill to see. Like my, like the great artists, Michelangelo, yeah. mm -hmm. you know, Raphael, these guys, they can, they can see where the muscle is in front of them. Like they're tracing mm -hmm. in their mind. My mind doesn't trace like that. So I said, fuck it. I'm really good with people and I like houses. Why don't I try to become a realtor and awesome. the rest is history. Awesome. That was me in architecture school, man. Like my designs were always turned in on time. Everybody else was always late. I was always on time and their designs were 10 times better than mine. Like they were so much better. <laughs> and so what I ended up right? doing was I ended up becoming a project manager. Like I learned how to, how to manage designers because I could speak their language and I knew how to get them to turn in things on time. And then I became a business owner. And so we all have to right. find our place and your place is that you're able to relate to human beings and a perfect, oh, oh, this is perfect. I got you a bathrobe. Here you go. You can wrap up now. So you won't be so cold. There you go. I, I was looking over at Amy and she saw the robe. I knew that she saw the robe and I knew that the robe was for me, but I didn't say anything. So thank you for that. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't want to thank throw you. it out because it's pink. And so, you know, I don't, I, you were thinking maybe it was for Amy, but it's for you. So, you know, but Amy, Amy's like good. That. She's good to go. Yeah. Hey, look, I'm not going to pretend that there's not something going on between us. I'm just saying I, you guys are not in the room, but I mean, it's palpable. It's palpable. That's all I'm saying. It's only gay if the balls touch. Just throwing it out there. Don't want to make it weird. And now it's officially not weird at all. That's great. That's oh my fantastic. gosh. I'm going to have to work hard to keep the two of you on track. I know. I know. Sometimes it's my role. Okay. So Glenn, I noticed that you work for this company called the Shellhammer and that's also your last name. Isn't that a fucking coincidence? I have yeah. no idea how that happens. <laughs> So yeah, so tell us about that. Like how long has the Shellhammer Group existed? Been several years now. It took me a couple of years to get comfortable with the idea that people were hiring me. They weren't hiring Keller Williams. They weren't hiring Sotheby's. They were actually hiring Shellhammer. So when that light bulb kind of went on, 
and then my tiny testicles became balls, I decided to become a broker, kind of just march to my own drumbeat. And I see what works in the industry. I see where there's room for improvement in my way of doing things. Where did you start off before you did Shellhammer Group? Like, did you start off with another company before that? Yeah, I did the Ignite program that I think I failed out of. So that's what's Keller, right? Keller Williams, yeah. So I did that first and yeah. kind of got my feet wet. Uh, month six, I was in tears to my mentor. I just could not understand why I couldn't figure this out. And I wasn't selling a lot of real estate and whatever that meant. Month seven, I was recruited to Sotheby's and it just sort of clicked. I've been off to the races since then. Month six, $1,862 was what I earned in real estate in the first six months. So to anybody new out there, I would tell you that, you know, you gotta have a support system mm -hmm. or you have to have some sort of income where you're working in the evenings, right? Mm -hmm. So you can be free to start to build your new business. And it's important that you look at it that way and you identify with what's really going on. It's a business. You right. don't have a job. So you need to, number one, have that self-starter fire in your gut to be an entrepreneur and to start your business. Yeah. When you're an entrepreneur, nobody tells you what time to come to work. Nobody tells you what time to go home. Nobody tells you what your boundaries are. Nobody tells you when you're supposed to punch in. People are always like, oh, it's so great being a real estate agent because I can work whenever I want. Well, on the other hand of that, it's so great being a real estate agent. You get to work all, all the, time. the time. If you want to, you yeah. can work constantly because if there's not a client to talk to, there's marketing to do. And if there's not marketing to do, then there's work to do on your core values or on your business. And it can be non stop. It could get really out of control. When you started the Shellhammer Group, you came from another company. You said that you've seen the way that the industry runs. How do you take the time in a healthy way, check out the competition, see what they're doing, make judgment calls of like, hey, that's a good idea. That's a bad idea. I would do this differently. Like, how do you do that in a way that you don't just go on like a little shame spiral of like constantly looking at the competition and saying we're not as good as them or they're better than us? Or how do we keep that in a positive way? You know, that's an interesting question question. And when I figure that out, I'm going to let you know. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I value my competitors, right? Are they competitors or are they worthy adversaries? So if they're worthy adversaries, there's my benchmark. The real challenge is myself, where I need to put myself every day in the uncomfortable position for growth. And when I look at the handful of brokers or agents out there that are my adversaries, we're not necessarily working together, but we're not working against each other either. It's kind of the very definition of frenemies. Like you're literally working together to get this deal closed with your competitors. And so you have to have a balance of like healthy competition. You can't burn right. bridges in this industry, right? Well, of course not. And I need them as much as they need me. It's pretty short-sighted to think that I could take on every listing that there is right. around right. me, right. right? And there's more than enough to go around. I have always come from a place of abundance and not scarcity in my life. I've done it the other way. And living the other way is the cup half empty. Yeah. And that just doesn't feel good. In the morning, it doesn't feel good at night. That's a living hell, and I don't want to be that way. Glenn, I want to know what do you do when, I mean, because I, I'm a glass half full also, but I know sometimes when I get a little worn out, I've got to like dig in a little and do the work. What do you do to keep your glass half full? I always look for the secret sauce. I always look for the new diet, you know, the better fix to make everything 
perfect, right? Or whatever that means or make it easier because that guy is doing something that I'm not doing right and he's doing it easier. Those stories I hear every day in my head. The reality is, is what nobody ever wants to hear and that's that I have professional coaches in my life and I have successful mentors in my life. How many coaches do you have and how often and for how long you're meeting with? What does that look like? My physical trainer, I meet with specific times every week. She works on my body. It's taken me 40 years and to find a lesbian to teach me to be a man. <laughs> They're the best. Okay. They're the best. That's yeah. happened. And she did make me throw up. Like, I mean, I'm in a different place physically, right? I'm 20 pounds less weight. I'm 30, yeah. 30% body fat less. Yeah. I'm in athlete form. Yeah. Right? If I was to take off, if I was to take my shirt back off, I mean, you just got done rubbing my abs. You know what's going on. <laughs> it's, I, I gotta tell you, I've got a dirty shirt in the laundry and I'm like, I need a washboard and boom, <laughs> done. Okay, so we got body. I got mind, I'm an alcoholic and I live in the world of euphorically high or desperately low. Mm -hmm. I have a group of men that I meet with on a regular basis on Zoom now, once a week, who are like me, that have families and have careers and have things, a lot of moving parts. Some of them are uber successful Oscar winning directors and actors and shit. Some of them are my clients, mm -hmm. whatever. We all have high stress and we all have a lot of stuff that we all have to deal with, demons and skeletons in the closet. So there's my spirituality because I'm always trying to fill you know, a hole in me with material stuff. I always have yeah. my entire life to kind of like fix me mm -hmm. or to make me better in some way that just creates a distraction in my life from what I should really be focusing on. So now there's my physical fitness and my spirituality. Then I also have businessmen that I've met through the years in business and through my real estate business also yeah. that are just very successful businessmen yeah. that carve out the time every day that I keep in touch with different people and bounce ideas and just keep accountable with what's going on in our lifestyle. And I'm rigorously honest with them about what I'm doing and what I'm not doing. And then every day I have to carve out time to spend with my family. I've got two small children, one's four and one's two. So between four and eight every day is my time with my family, you know, reading to them, teaching my kids, you know, playing, just being a dad. Yeah. So it's that balance every single day. I belong to this group called Entrepreneurs Organization, which is kind of a worldwide thing, and it's all business owners. And within that bigger, like 10,000 people group, there's a 300 person group, and there's a 180 person group in Portland. Then I belong to the seven person group, which is called my forum within that organization. I talked to two of them today already because I had questions about a general contractor contract, and I had questions about coaching a person that I'm mentoring. Without those people, I would be fumbling around being like, I don't know how to do that. And so having those, like you have your group of guys that are like, this is who I go to, this is who I talk to about these things. Having that is so incredibly empowering. I think the hardest part of that is vetting those people, finding out like, are you doing this away in a way that jives with what I'm doing? And I've had mentors that like, this person does not jive with my line of thinking. I don't get why they're doing this. and I'm completely lost all the time. Finding the right match for your mentor is huge and gigantic. I'm super glad that you found that. Amy, you've got a couple of mentors in your life as well, don't you? Yeah. What you got? <laughs> I stepped into this business sort of following in the footsteps of this person that we've known and loved for 
for many years, who was our real estate agent, who kind of has helped me get set up in this business. Which the, is the illustrious Beth, Beth Kellen, Kellen, who comes up I know, we like can't, every single time. We can't get through without talking about Beth. Glenn, I don't know about you, but this business is, I'm definitely discovering it. It can be a lonely business if you don't create contacts and connections in it. And so having more than one person, you know, you know, you have a couple conversations with somebody, you know, if they're your, they're your peeps or not, you know, if that's the person you trust to give you an answer when you're in the hot seat, when you need good advice or you need to work something through, you know that pretty quickly. Tell me about the worst day or the worst moment that you've had in real estate where you're like, why in the hell am I doing this? Man, oh man, there's so many good stories for for, for that. We got to get around the campfire. We, no, we have I a campfire think... in the green room. Let's go back to the room. <laughs> I love the green room. Every moment you have the possibility of the floor dropping out from underneath of you. We're at the mercy of third parties all day long. I didn't mean to get too philosophical on you, but when I have this robe on, I tend to get a little Gandhi-like. And you know, that (laughs) robe goes really well with that ascot. I love it. It's fantastic. Oh, well, thank you very much. (laughs) Okay, so we know the idea. We lead our horse to water. We can't make them drink. Tell me a story. Tell me what happened a day you, you had your horse, you're leading it to water, and that motherfucker will not drink. I was called to a property for a listing appointment where I went in and I told the sellers, I think it may be in your best interest to not sell based on what I'm hearing and what you want to do next. And they said, okay, great. They call me back a month later and say, we've decided to sell. Okay. What's the property worth? I said, it's somewhere between 1.1 and 1.2. And my gut's been fairly on point lately. Fast forward 15, 20 offers later, and somebody jumped way out of 1.1 to 1.2 where most people were at and went into the one threes. I get them one threes. I wrap it up, bulletproof it. They're all buttoned up and ready to go. The entire transaction, the wife is driving me bananas about all of her personal shortcomings, character defects, insecurities, and how she can't find the replacement home that I have one of my agents partnered up with on my team looking to identify the the other spot on the way out after the contingencies are removed. She's jamming me up almost every evening when I'm on the phone for 20 minutes, avoiding text messages, doing the whole dance with her for 60 days. It's a 60 day escrow. Five days before we close, they say they don't wanna sell anymore. She says, well, what do we do now? I said, go get yourself an attorney is what you do now. There's opportunities for buyers to bail out anytime, but as the seller, once you're in, you're in, right? Like there's no bailing at that point. Then they say to me, well, you told us that we can always back out of the deal in an email or a text. And they're like, "Uh, you said it at this time and they're trying to dig something up. So I get right on the phone with them both, with the husband and the wife. And I was just, by that point, I said, listen, I said, I see what you just did there. Let me be crystal clear with you that you're not dragging me into this bullshit and your personal drama right now between your wife and you and you know whatever else you got going on, it's none of my business. I'm not getting involved in a mediation or arbitration. You need to be adults. You made a decision. You gotta be big boys and big girls and you gotta get the fuck out of here. That's what you gotta do. And they were like, okay. And that's what they did. They spoke to an attorney. The attorney told them how dumb they are and they eventually just got going. But a bad day for me is when I really have to transform into a therapist, when I really have to transform into a lifelong friend and confidant, it's exhausting. In real estate, death, divorce, and moving, these are our three most stressful days. And even the kindest, most responsible people 
are having a bad day in real estate, ultimately it gets launched onto either the real estate agent or in my case, sometimes the home stager because we're an easy target. We're service providers. And when they're pissed off and they're looking for something, anything to control and we get to be that person. And I honestly feel like Amy has a leg up on all the rest of us because she comes from a background of mental health and counseling. Amy, I mean, in comparison to your old job, do you feel like this is more um, out of control or less out of control? (laughs) Which one is harder on the psychological level? It depends the day. I mean, I I definitely think, gosh, Glenn, what you said resonated so much. Just the sort of low bubbling anxiety that's there all the time and sort of the sense of that you're always dependent on this third party. There's always just something else that could just pull the rug out from underneath you that you have absolutely no control over. So I just wanted to say that totally. Thank you for that. That was very, I found that validating. So yeah, you can sit with that one and you can take some of my, here, blowing it over your wall. Have some of this. Right in here, right in here. But that's why all the other pieces that you mentioned are so important, right? Like the taking care of yourself physically, like all these other, all the other things you mentioned, like if you don't keep yourself afloat. And Justin, to answer your question, I mean, as you know, I was ready to step out of the position I was in. So the sort of burdensome nature of gigantic healthcare system, I find the work that I do in real estate, even though at least I find with clients that you're in a therapist role sometimes for sure. You're helping people work their shit out. They're working their shit out with you. Harder in some ways, but also much more rewarding for me at this point because I was really done with that part of of my life. So I needed to do something different. And I find the skills are so transferable and I'm so grateful for them because that's the kind of stuff that is harder to learn, I think, if you don't come in with some ability to help folks stay steady and grounded and and be a catch-all for some of that, which unfortunately sometimes is a gigantic shit show, right? You just don't know what's coming at you. No, I hear what you're saying too. And I just want to rewind a tiny bit. That specific story that I shared with you, that was mental illness. That's yeah. not just being Got somebody's it. soundboard. That's yeah. not being somebody's yeah. you know advocate where you're figuring out a game plan. Yeah, I was just being just drained by somebody else's mental illness. Yeah, because and there was so much. It's difficult. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. you get into people's homes, and there's a lot more mental illness and dysfunction than you know we all talk about on a daily basis. And when you peel back the layers, and if you're exposed to it. And you know, it's, it's interesting. I would say that probably for our transactions, we're about one in 100 is like clinical. Like there is a problem with this person. Something's going wrong. I would say one in four is like really, really stressed out. But I would say about 75% of our transactions, people are like, cool. They know what's going on. And like, we try so hard to attract those people. We want them to like bring your friends. But what's interesting though, is that working with agents, I mean, we have probably 5,000 agents that we work with. And we tend to find that like nice people bring nice people and crazy brings crazy. And it's like so consistent across the board that when you get one agent that works with a specific type of client, those people bring their friends to that agent. And so they, they start attracting the same people. And there are some mm. agents that I'm just like, you know, we're not a match. And yeah. I think like even last week I had to call up an agent and say, I'm sorry, we're just, we're not a match for you. I can recommend a different home stager for you. And it is a hard thing to do. You know, there comes a point where you're so deep in the transaction, you can't give it away yeah. to somebody else. Yeah. You can't back out. You have to go through to the other side because the contract is signed and it's over. On that note, tell us about like the day that you were like, I was chiseled from stone for this business. That was a, a little compliment in there about your physical I know what you're well doing. I yeah. see where you're going. Trying, I was trying my best there. It was deep. It was too Thank deep you. for Thank some you very listeners, much. but it wasn't for me. <laughs> 
We have a very sophisticated listener base. All three of them are very well educated. <laughs> Do they know what my safe word is? <laughs> I don't know. What was, the, what was the day that you were like, this is what I'm meant to be doing? This is it. This is the day. This is the moment right here. If behind the yard um, sign is the pinnacle of your business, there might be a problem. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know... You know what? I'll tell you. My whole business has shifted and things have completely changed and it's very, very exciting. Um, a good day for me now is when I write a check for one of my agents. $15,000, $20,000. I'm so grateful that we do a fair amount of business, but that, you know, a paycheck like that, it doesn't change my life. It pays my bills for the month. So when I write checks like that for some of my newer agents, mm-hmm. that's like yeah. a life changer. You know, they're yeah. really starting a new career and they're just, they're getting paid and it's so rewarding to watch that I've taken this person from scratch and I'm and I'm making them a top agent. It's yeah. so cool. Yeah. That gets me pumped. So, I mean, I'm working less on the front lines like I used to. I'm more now just mentoring, grooming, negotiating, having the difficult conversations on a daily basis is more of my role. Yeah, so you get to awesome. be that for the folks that are in your company, it sounds like, right? We're completely yeah. different. We're outside the box. We're progressive. You know, we curse. You know, I, <laughs> I like, I'm, I'm like a sailor over here. I get to the big why. Why are we doing what we're doing? Like, I don't fuck around with people. I don't understand even in this market how buyers are getting their ass kicked and they're looking for six months and now they're taking a break. Those are the buyers that find me on Instagram and Mm -hmm. we get them houses in two or three weeks. That's what's been happening the last six months. You know what I love? I love this line lately. You want to hear a good day? I'll give you a good day. A good day is when I hear a listing agent that I don't know that I call with a buyer and if they pick up the phone and they say, "Uh, you know, the the seller just wants highest and best. So you should do your best. And I can't give you anything more than that because I have to be fair. So how do you respond to highest and best? I love an agent like that because I get on the dance floor and, you know, I start doing my John Travolta and here it goes. Ready? Watch me staying alive right now. This is what I do. What I say is, okay, cool. When you say the word fair, I'm thinking about my four-year-old son stealing my two-year-old daughter's doll. That's not fair. You know what else isn't fair? You, Mr. and Mr. Agent, being up at 11, 30, 12 o'clock, one o'clock in the morning with 40 offers in front of you and half of them are dog shit and you're reading through all of this stuff and you need to do work in four hours from now. That's not fair. And by the way, I don't think the seller is looking for a fair price. I think they're looking for a home run. And I don't think that my buyer is really looking for a fair price. They want to feel like they've got a good deal. So why don't we just get right to it? What does the seller want? Tell me what happened in the listing appointment. Let me see if I can get it done for you. And then maybe you can just look for backup position one. You can go through the whole fucking parade and the party. You can get a good backup offer. Meanwhile, we're already in escrow and I'm trying to get the contingencies removed. So why Mm -hmm. don't we go ahead and do the right thing so you and I can go get some more business. Give me your fair and best. What do you want? That is a fucking perfect response. Yeah. I don't want to play a guessing game. I don't have a fucking hat and numbers. Do your best. Everybody, let's just do our best today. Everybody can just do their best. The fuck does that even mean? It's like a millennial (laughs) soccer game. We all win. So, Glenn, you said people can find you on Instagram. What is your Instagram? What's the best place to find you? It is the Shellhammer Group. Glenn Shellhammer is a real estate agent in the Los Angeles area. He's with the Shellhammer Group. It's not such a coincidence that you work for a company that has the same last name as you. It's amazing. (laughs) You can find him at 
at the Shellhammer group. It's all one word. There's only one L in shell and only one M in hammer. And so at the shellhammergroup.com. And what's your website? Are you ready for this? Shellhammergroup.com. Shellhammergroup.com. I, I love it. It's such a, it's just so consistent. Glenn, thank you so much for being on the show. Amy's going to take you back to the green room. I heard that John Travolta is actually hanging out back there. So you had mentioned him earlier today. I think he like got the bat signal or something. He's in the hot tub. He's got a matching gold speedo. You're going to have a great time with him. Okay, look, don't threaten me with a good time. And I hope you're showing up later on. Oh, hell yeah. I, got, I just got a brand new speedo. It's pink snakeskin. So I'm really oh. excited to show it off. Let's get it, girl. <laughs> Okay, so you can stop recording. <laughs> wow, Amy, that room is starting to get crowded. We've got Glenn is back there. John Travolta is back there. Olivia Newton-John just showed up. It's like a Grease reunion. I've got to say, Justin, yeah. I, I'm surprised that you made it back here. I was sort of anticipating <laughs> that I'd be trying to hold up this end of our conversation myself. It was stressing me out a little bit. I just wasn't sure you'd make it back. It seemed like there was some interesting things happening. <laughs> well, you know, we talked about time management earlier. And so what I did is I set a timer for 15 minutes <laughs> and I said, listen, John, Olivia, you've got me for 15 minutes and then I've got to head back to the studio. I've got work to do is what I told them. And they understood. You're so good with your boundaries, Justin. We got in one hand jive, <laughs> um, you know, and then we moved on. <laughs> One of the things that we were talking about with Glenn was this idea of words or quotes in real estate that just grate on our nerves, that are fingernails on a chalkboard. And his was best and final, mm -hmm. which I totally understand. I get that. That is a term that gets thrown around a lot in times of multiple offers. I'm wondering if you have words that just like grate. There's really one that comes to mind. The word is gleaming, gleaming hardwoods. Yes. But I, I gotta say, so I, I hate that word, but I'm also trying to figure out real estate agents, you know, we write these little blurbs, right? You've got to write this blurb that draws as many people into the gloriousness of your listing as you possibly can. Yet somehow they all end up sounding a little bit the same. Like how do we get beyond gleaning? <laughs> what other words are there? There's so many words in this Something language. Something other than cozy. Yes. Cozy, yeah. Yes. My favorite is gourmet kitchen. Mm -hmm. Like, mm -hmm. it's not the fucking kitchen that makes you a gourmet, bitch. It is, <laughs> oh, it is your me. actual cooking abilities. <laughs> yes. Because I got an awesome kitchen, and I know how to scramble eggs, and that is the extent of my culinary abilities. The other one that kills me is that when they're like, European design, mm -hmm. any particular part of Europe? Like, yes, it's just, just like all of Europe, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we have these words that are supposed to kind of conjure things, and I think sometimes they just miss the mark, but it is hard. How do you bust out of that? Like, every once in a while... I I think there's a couple I've saved. I wish I could pull one up, but every once in a while I'll see a listing with like a brilliant description. And, yeah. and I'm like, oh, I aspire to be that. Like I want to be that creative and pull it together. But in the end, gleaming pops to mind for me just as much as anybody else. The gleaming hardwoods, the cozy fireplace, the European kitchen. Don't we all want that? <laughs> I want to live there. It'll make me such a better cook yes. while I slide on my socks like Tom Cruise. Yes. Bowling alleys have gleaming hardwood floors. You don't want to live there though. That's the best use of gleaming. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite description that I ever saw of a house was out in the industrial, like St. John's district of Portland, uh -huh. which is, there's a lot of ports that are there and a lot of trucking that is there. And <laughs> it was described as trucker's dream. <laughs> <laughs> That's great though. Imagine. It's just 
pulling your semi up to this house. There's two different ways you can go with this, right? You can either try to like brush aside the complexities of your listing by using these lovely fanciful words, or you can just go straight forward. Trucker's dream. You're not beating around the bush there. There are two different ways to write copy for a Mm -hmm. listing. There's logical and there's emotional. Logical is this three bedroom, two bathroom house has a European kitchen, gleaming hardwood floors and a cozy fireplace. Like it's very like, this is the logical one of exactly what you're going to find in this house. Yeah. Then there's the emotional kind Mm -hmm. where it's like, imagine driving your semi up to this house and parking (laughs) mere inches from your front door. Your family invites you inside while you eat a gourmet meal in your lovely kitchen. Like you're trying to appeal to the story of what your life is going to look like in this house. And we often talk about this idea of like the stale donut. We have a house that's listed. It didn't go. Mm -hmm. Now we're going to pull it down. We're going to relist it. And if your listing originally was a logical explanation, then you should relist it with an emotional explanation because Ah. there ain't no way you're going to make that house sound different. And we have to try to make people think they're going on a new first date with a new person. We have to make it sound like a different house. And so switching from one to the other can be a very good way to refresh a stale listing. Oh, that's brilliant. That makes so much sense. So it's all a part of the refresh that you do when you're just trying to like pull something back flip it around and start over. Flip it around. You got it. And it's little things like, you know, if you did daytime shots for your opening picture before, do a nighttime shot with all the lights on. You know, like that's a really good way to make your listing look like a different listing. Do an aerial shot instead of a front door Mm -hmm. shot. You know, that's a good way to do it too. A lot of areas you're also allowed to do a picture of the view versus a picture of the house itself Mm. as your opening shot. Mm -hmm. So it depends on your MLS. They all have rules as to what you can include on the beginning of it. My least favorite word in actually it's not even just real estate it's like the entire world has gone gaga for luxury the Mm. word luxury to the point where we literally describe plastic floors vinyl flooring we describe it as luxury vinyl flooring lvf or lvp Mm -hmm. luxury vinyl plank it amazes me that like really are we now describing like vinyl flooring as luxury like that doesn't yeah. that mean that nothing's luxury now See, maybe it wasn't selling before we were talking a little bit about marketing earlier too i think at one point and it's all about marketing so you stick luxury at the beginning of something and all of a sudden maybe it appeals to different folks i feel like luxury has been overused to the point where like it just doesn't mean anything anymore yeah. and so like if you truly are looking for luxury if it says luxury you're no. like Ugh, luxury gross <laughs> it's yeah <laughs> it's not that <laughs> If you look at brands like Louis Vuitton, which have been flipping genius, they sell their bags as luxury bags. And what most people don't know who carry a Louis Vuitton bag is that it's what they call vulcanized canvas. Vulcanized canvas is actually vinyl. It's canvas that's been dipped in rubber and that's vinyl. And that Louis Vuitton bag that you paid 900 bucks for, that's vinyl. The only thing that's leather on it is the handle. And most people have not a clue as to why that exists. Louis Vuitton was a trunk maker in France who his big claim to fame was that he invented two things. Number one, vinyl was the first thing he invented. Number two, he was the first person to ever make a trunk that didn't have a rounded top ah. because when you when you go on a steamer ship, a lot of times trunks will get wet and the rounded top makes it fall mm-hmm. off. But what sucks about a rounded trunk is that you can't stack it. And yeah. so it's very, very inconvenient. The other thing that sucks about a rounded leather trunk is that rats will eat the leather towards the end of the cruise because they start to get more and more hungry. And so every ship has rats on it. The Louis Vuitton was the first one to 
invent the vinyl flat top trunk. The problem was that people were not able to recognize it as a different product. Mm -hmm. And so what he did was he had his little stamp thingy that you would stamp the back of your letters on. He dipped it in gold foil and stamped his little stamp all over the vinyl so that people could tell this is luxury. And so what ended up happening is that very, very rich people carried these bags behind them that had this Louis Vuitton stamp all over it. They bought it because they didn't want rats on their bags. They want to be able to stack their bags. They didn't really care that it was like fancy or whatever. But other people who didn't have money saw these people who had money carrying these bags that had this LV on it. And they were like, oh, if you're rich, you carry an LV bag. And so Louis Vuitton became ultimately the first luxury brand to be worth more simply based on the logo that's stamped onto it. So when you buy a shirt from The Gap that says The Gap on it, that idea came from Louis Vuitton. Louis Vuitton is now the largest owner of luxury products in the world. They have something like 71 luxury brands with Louis Vuitton being the industry level one. They have brands I've never even heard of because I'm not even in that buying echelon. Wow. But it just kills me that we have tricked millions and millions of men and women into buying vinyl bags. Because we call them luxury. Because we call them luxury. Yeah. And it's just based on that word luxury. And it's a word that I just freaking <laughs> That's amazing. Hate. I hate it. The other one that, that gets me, homestagers use it all the time. Like every single, have you ever noticed every single homestager in the world is the premier yes. homestager? We're premier. Yeah, there's a lot of premieres. So you were the first homestager in the world? <laughs> Like when you premiere something, isn't that the first time that it's shown? Mm -hmm. What does that mean? Mm -hmm. Oh, premiere. Oh, you must be premiere. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it drives me nuts. What other words do you hate out there that just drive you crazy? The highest and best one is hard right now. I mean, there's lots of conversation. There's lots of conversation. I mean, I get where they're coming from with it. I mean, I think the interpretation is no escalations. That one maybe just smarts for a different reason than the others do. (laughs) It's just hard. The one that I really struggle with, almost every interior designer, graphic designer, home stager uses it to describe the work that they do and it's curate. Uh, I am a curator of spaces. I curate coffee. I'm a curator of burritos. If you look curate up, it is the, preservation and categorization of antiquities. That is to curate. So we've totally appropriated this word. I got to tell you, when you go to the to fucking Sears and pick out a bed, yeah. you ain't curating. Yeah. You are not curating shit. Mm-hmm. You are designing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that is a, There's a difference here. And curation, when used appropriately, like if you're a curator at a museum or if you curate sheet music or you're a curator of heirloom seeds, this absolutely makes sense to me. That's what you should be doing with those things. But if you pour coffee and then steam milk into it, you're not a curator. That's not, that's not what you yeah. do. You're just, you, you are number one, ill-informed because you have bad grammar. You don't understand what the word means. And number two, pretentious because you're trying to make yourself sound better than you are. And ultimately you just sound like a flippant idiot because you're not a curator. Yeah. Stop using yeah. that word. Yeah. Ooh, I thought of one. And this one is a little tricky because I can see the charm in it, but vintage featuring a vintage kitchen. I mean, what that really means yes is the kitchen is totally outdated. I mean, sometimes you see vintage kitchen and you're like, oh gosh, there really is some charm to this. Like, I feel like vintage for me holds, maybe it's left from my like vintage shopping days of my like early twenties where, you know, spend hours at the, you know, used clothing stores and you would find amazing vintage scores. Right. I'm not sure an outdated kitchen necessarily means vintage, means vintage in the way that it, that vintage has meant some 
something in my life. So vintage comes from the wine industry. Yes. So when we're talking about vintages of wines, we're talking about a date. Mm -hmm. So what is the vintage of this wine? It's 2009. And so when you say it's a vintage kitchen, vintage of what? Yes. Yes. (laughs) It's a vintage 1950s kitchen. Okay. Well, the mat totally makes sense. I understand what you're talking about. But if you're just using vintage to describe like crappy. Yeah. And that's what I see. (laughs) I mean, I see both things that, you know, you'll see the like sort of untouched 50s ranch that you walk in and you're like, oh my gosh, I don't necessarily want to cook on these appliances, but it's lime green. Like you've got to love that a little bit. (laughs) I hear time capsule used a lot to describe this. It's a time capsule. Yeah. Which also, not precise, but yeah. Because then sometimes the other side of that is time capsule. Like, if I'm going to have a time capsule, I just don't want it to be from the 80s. Right. In interior design, we use vintage as a technical term to describe something that is about 20 years out of date. Oh, so uh-huh. when, let's just say that something came out and at this point, oh my God, around 2000, because we're at 2021, wow. right? So something that came out 2000, in 2000 has gone through its 10-year cycle of being popular. Mm-hmm. It's gone through its 10-year cycle of being unpopular and now is entering the realm of vintage. Yes. And so it has this kitsch feel to it that it's not really popular, but we laugh because we're like, oh my God, I remember those Nagel prints. It's so vintage. <laughs> and so when you bring back something that isn't necessarily popular again, once something is vintage, it then makes its way into antiquity, mm-hmm. which is the next step in interiors. And we actually use vintage a lot mm-hmm. because the thing that is great about vintage is that it is so far out of style that it can't get any more out of style. Mm-hmm. So if you buy something that's vintage, like let's say you buy the Eames lounger, yes. are you familiar with with this chair, right? Eames Lounger was considered a vintage chair. It's not yet antique. Mm -hmm. Hasn't made it to that realm yet. But there is not a chance it's going to go out of style because it is already so far out of style that it's now become like a classic. I love that. So it's had its lifespan. It's had its 10 years and then it's 10 years after and now it's looped back around. It has stood the test of time and people will still use it again. We could say the same thing about like the Noguchi table Mm -hmm. or we start getting into ideas like the Louis XVII mirrors where like the really Rococo, that's where we're into antique. Mm -hmm. So that's like too far back. If we're talking about like mid-century modern, even like 1970s chinoisie or brutalism, Mm -hmm. those are still in those realms of vintage. They're not quite antique yet, but they also are not going to go out of style anytime soon. Arts and crafts has gone into antiquity. Mm -hmm. It's past vintage and is now in antiquity, but that's, we're like 1920, 1930. So we're almost a hundred years back by the time we get to antiquity. I was just going to say, it's fascinating that this is just like, it's a conveyor belt and every, it's all moving towards antiquity. Like they're moving towards antiques. And the shit pieces fall away. They never make it into vintage. They certainly never make it into antiquity. And the good pieces stick around. And that collection of what is vintage and what is antiquity is always growing. Mm -hmm. It's always getting larger because we're always building more history behind us. Every moment that we are, something becomes vintage. Mm -hmm. So, Mm -hmm. Oh, fascinating. We use a lot of of vintage stuff in our our home staging. All of when I first started, the other home stagers in town would refer to us as the garage sale stagers <laughs> because they felt like all of our stuff looked like it came from garage sales. And I, we have had clients that are like, we don't get you. We don't want your value village crap. Get it out of our house. And I'm like, we're just not the stager for yes, you, man. We a use a lot fit. of vintage in our not houses. A good fit. And yeah. 
yeah. you know, we could totally go to home goods and buy, you know, ceramic Buddhas like every other home stage yeah. in the world. We choose not yeah. to. It's very much so on purpose because we feel like everybody has some ugly piece of crap that they are emotionally attached to because it was their grandma's or it was in their dorm room or they consummated their marriage on it or whatever the hell. There's something special about that piece mm-hmm. and they want to know that their ugly crap is going to look as good in their house as our ugly crap looks as good in that mm-hmm. house. And because we have designers know how to put it in houses that make it look beautiful, we just kind of reassure them like, your stuff's going to work here. It's going to be okay. Yes. It's going to be all right. You don't have to have an entirely perfect collection of mid-century modern to move into this house. It's going to be all right. It's very much on purpose. I love that. You know, when I talk about staging with people, I try and explain to them that we're just trying to make this space look lovely, but also palatable for everybody. You don't want something that's like glaringly throw off the whole feel of things. But I'd never thought of these pieces that you bring in as intentionally put in there just to sort of like throw things off enough that we can all imagine ourselves there. I love that. That makes a lot of sense to me. We call our aesthetic aspirational, obtainable, aspirational, you walk in this space and you say, this is beautiful. This is how I want mm-hmm. to live. Obtainable. You walk in this house and you go, I can actually do yeah. this. This isn't that hard. Yeah. And that's like, if it looks like it was hard, we're doing our job wrong, yeah. period. It just can't look difficult. Yeah. And then people are going to walk into that listing and think, Whoop, not for me. Like it's going to feel out of reach. Uh, Amy, where can people find you on the interwebs? AmyRomberg.com. Easiest place to find me. <laughs> She's awesome, you guys. If you're in Portland, Amy Romberg is such a treat to work with. Amy, thank you so much for hosting with me today. I just love it. (laughs) Our guest today was the very energetic and very fun Glenn Shellhammer. Uh, He's a real estate agent in the Los Angeles area. You can find him at at the Shellhammer Group. That's on Instagram. And Shell has one L and Hammer has one M. So at the Shellhammer Group. Follow their Instagram. It's good fun. The guy is a hoot. And I got to tell you, if you get a chance to touch his you should totally do it. Do you agree, Amy? Yeah, absolutely. Yes? Good stuff. We are produced by Nicole Durkin. Our music is composed and performed by Joff Metz. You can find him at fivestarguitars.com. Our editor is Richie. Richie, thank you for always making us sound like we are incredibly intelligent, even though we are not <laughs> the best in the world. You can find us at spade-archer.com. If you've got a story that you want to tell, reach out to us. You can find us at spade-archer.com. Click on the podcast link. Reach out to us. Say hi. Tell us. We'd love to hear from you. I would love to thank the hundreds of people at this point who've reached out to us with stories we're getting to you and we just really appreciate it. We look forward to seeing you next time Behind the Yard Sign. This production of Behind the Yard Sign was brought to you live from the Spade and Archer Studios. Spade and Archer Design Agency is the world's first guaranteed home stager.